Our reading today is from Luke 22, verses 7, and then we're actually ending at 20, so slightly shorter than it says in the handout. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Thanks so much for reading. Uh, It's wonderful to see you all here. Welcome, if you've joined us since the beginning. Let me pray as we uh, come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we pray this lunchtime, please open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a series looking at different meals that Jesus had with different people in Luke's Gospel and what each of these episodes tell us about who Jesus was and why he came. And this week we've arrived at what must be his most famous meal, what has become known as the Last Supper, the last meal that he shared with his disciples before he went to his death. And I just wanted to reflect for a few moments now on two things that this last meal of Jesus teaches us. First, what it tells us about the the actual meaning of his death, and second, how to respond to his death. So first, the meaning of his death. Uh, And the vital thing we need to know at the beginning about this last meal uh, is that it was a Passover meal. This Passover meal was the, the, the climax of the annual Passover festival, which as a whole remembered God's rescue of his people uh, out of Egypt. But the Passover meal in particular, as part of that feast, was to remember the night that God judged Egypt through the death of all the firstborn sons and livestock but passed over the house, the houses, the homes of the Israelites and spared their <laughs> firstborn. And the reason God passed over each of those Israelite households in the original event was because they sacrificed a lamb as a substitute in the place of their firstborn. And then, afterwards, they were instructed to remember this great event every year at a Passover meal. And there were three elements to this meal. 
the eating of unleavened bread, which was to remember that the Israelites uh, ate it in haste as they were dashing out of uh, Egypt. Uh, and also, um, gradually over the centuries that followed, uh, wine, the drinking of wine, got added to this uh, annual meal. And it, uh, there were four cups of wine drunk, and they commemorated the different stages of God's uh, rescue of his people out of Egypt. But the absolute centre of the Passover meal was the eating of the lamb, remembering that the original Passover lambs, which had been sacrificed as substitutes for um, the firstborn. Now what's interesting about all the Gospel accounts of this Passover meal that Jesus shares with his disciples is that none of them make any mention of the lamb or the eating uh, of a lamb in this meal, which would have been the centre point of the meal. Bread and wine get mentioned, no mention of lamb. And instead, I think what he does in this meal is he, he puts himself at the centre of the meal instead. He becomes the lamb. And the way he does that, he, 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 I think you see, if you look at the text, he takes the remaining elements, the bread and the wine, and he uses them, he, he changes their meaning to point to him. So in verses 19 and 20, he uses the bread and wine to signify uh, sacrifice. But the sacrifice isn't the lamb. It's himself. Do you see, the, the bread now sing, signifies his body, given and broken for the disciples. And the wine now signifies his blood, poured out for them. So here we have, Jesus has orchestrated this meal to take place right at the height of the Passover, where the whole thing is remembering this Passover lamb that was sacrificed uh, in the place of God's people. And here he now is, in the middle of this meal, pointing to his body and his blood. He, he's essentially saying, I am the Passover lamb. I'm the real thing, right here in front of you. Now, allow me to uh, try and illustrate this. And if you can bear the crunching of gears, I'd like to tell you a story about the pop music superstar Adele. There are apparently literally thousands of professional Adele impersonators in the world. It's big business. And they dedicate their lives to mastering every single detail of her voice, her dance moves, even her lifestyle. And back in 2015, nine of her very best tribute acts were selected to perform on a special BBC programme hosted, of course, by Graham Norton. And when the singers met at the new Wimbledon theatre for filming, there was a tenth performer there as well. What the other nine didn't know was that the tenth performer was actually the real Adele, okay, undercover. And then you get the film showing all the candidates preparing backstage, nervously chatting, warming up, rating each other's performances, uh, um, etc. And the real Adele is called Jenny in the programme. And when it's finally Jenny's turn to perform, it, it only takes a few bars of the song for the penny to drop with the others. They, they quickly realise they're actually in the presence of the real thing, of Adele herself. And in the interviews that uh, 
get shown afterwards, the, the impersonators admit that they were just totally surprised. Despite spending their entire lives painstakingly uh, imitating Adele in endlessly rehearsed routines, it was still a total bombshell when they came across the real thing. And I think Jesus drops a similar kind of bombshell in this Passover meal that he eats with the disciples. Because there they are, performing this ritual of the Passover meal, something that they'd spent their entire lives repeating year <coughs> after year. They would have known it off by heart, inside out, back to front, where they were commemorating God, rescuing his people through the death of a lamb in their place. And in the middle of this meal, Jesus says to them, I'm the real thing. I am the real Passover lamb. I am the sacrifice for sins that this Passover lamb was an imitation of, that was pointing forward to. I mean, you can imagine, the disciples must have been absolutely stunned. Thinking, oh. he, he's effectively saying to them, look, do you really think that God's people were saved that first Passover because some woolly quadrupeds were sacrificed? No, of course not. They were saved because God, in the future, in history, was going to offer up his own firstborn son. Someone who, who was truly human, who could truly represent them. Someone who could actually live the life that they should have lived. Someone who could die the death that they should have died. Someone who could actually truly give them God's forgiveness. So can I ask us all this lunchtime, is this something that we've understood about the death of Jesus? Whether we're new to the Christian faith or whether we've been church-going all our lives. He is the real Passover lamb who died in our place, bearing God's judgment on our sin so that God passes over us and we receive his forgiveness. Now, this, this must mean that uh, knowing God's favour, being f f a friend of God, can't then be about our own moral or religious um, performance. It, it can't be about how hard or how long we've served in politics either. Because do you think that God would have entered history, gone all the way to the cross, if there had been another way for us to be forgiven? If Jesus is this real Passover lamb, we need to lay down at the foot of his cross all our self-justifying, moral, religious, political track records. They're not the way to friendship with God. So the meaning of his death. Secondly, how should we respond? And in the second half of verse 19, Jesus gives us the answer. He says, from now on, Eat this bread and drink this wine in remembrance of me. So he kind of repurposes this Passover meal um, and repurposes the bread and wine uh, at the heart of it. In the past, they ate this bread and wine at the Passover meal to remember this rescue out of Egypt. But now, they're to eat this bread and drink this wine to remember an even greater rescue. The rescue that actually brings everyone into an eternal relationship with God. And this eating of the bread and drinking of the wine are to be a, a sign of this. And this is what God does throughout the Bible, actually. He, 
You see the same pattern. He rescues his people, and then he testifies to that rescue. He gives God's people words, and he gives them signs. So you get the same thing happening here at this meal. Jesus explains in words that his body is going to be broken, his blood is going to be shed for them. And then he gives them a sign as well of that rescue, this eating of bread and drinking of wine. And it's the same for us today. God's given us two ways of knowing and remembering that Jesus Christ died a sacrificial death in our place. We've got the words of Scripture and we have the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper or Communion. And personally, I'm really grateful that, that Jesus has provided us not just words of explanation of, of his death in the Gospels and the New Testament, and throughout the whole Bible, but actually something more, a kind of a wonderfully tangible sign to, to hang on to and to speak to us as well. Because God, God knows what we're like. We're visceral, physical creatures that we experience so much of our lives, don't we, through our five senses, you know, hearing, taste, touch, sight, and smell. And he's given us a reminder of Christ's death, the centre point of history, that engages all of our senses too. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a nice illustration that comes uh, in Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, uh, on the same kind of lines. Because there's a moment when the city of Gondor, you may remember, is about to be overrun with the evil forces of the Dark Lord, Sauron. And then Pippin, one of the hobbits hears in the distance the horns of King Theoden and all his forces that have come to the rescue of Gondor. And in that moment, he knows that the city and all of them are going to be saved. And this is how Tolkien describes this moment. Pippin rose to his feet as if a great weight had been lifted from him. And he stood listening to the horns and it seemed to him that they would break his heart with joy. And never in after years could he hear a horn blown in the distance without tears starting in his eyes. Now Pippin, of course, he needed to know some kind of word explanation before he knew what those horns signified. Otherwise, it would be some sort of random blowing of horns. It could have meant anything. But because he, did all, he already knew that those horns signified rescue, that meant that he didn't need some kind of written message in that very moment. All he needed to hear was the horns, and they spoke volumes of rescue to him uh, whenever he heard them. And I think in a similar way, the, the Lord's Supper and the bread and the cup are God's horn blowing to us from the past, from that moment in history when God himself became the Passover lamb and died for our sins. And that multi-sense experience of eating bread and drinking wine can convey that truth to us in ways that can magnify even further what we know in Jesus' words about his death for us. I said earlier that um, God promises uh, rescue to his people through words and signs. 
but he also always causes people to respond to those words and signs. And Jesus does the same again here with his disciples. He doesn't say to them, just eat some bread and wine at regular intervals in the future and you'll automatically receive salvation, rather like taking a regular medication. No, he, he, he says that the, they need to eat the bread and wine and remember him. In other words, they need to believe in what the bread and the wine signify, his death for their sins. The sign of the Lord's Supper, if you like, is like a, an invitation to a party. It's great to get an invitation to a party, but you don't just sit there admiring the lovely invitation and boasting to everyone that you've received it, do you? If you, if you want to go to the party, you need to reply to the invitation. And if you, if you don't reply, your name's not on the list and you're not going in. And it's the same with the death of Jesus. In order to benefit from the death of Jesus, we don't simply eat the bread and wine as if it somehow automatically imparts God's rescue to us. In order to benefit, we need to combine that eating and drinking with faith. So to wrap up, this last supper of Jesus with his disciples, I think, shows us the meaning at the heart of his death. He is this real Passover lamb, sacrificed at the centre of history so that we can know God forever. But it also shows us how to, how to respond to his death by believing in the words and the sign of the Lord's Supper which testify to that rescuing death. So, so on a personal level for, for all of us, when you next have the opportunity to receive the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper, will you call to mind that this is God's horn calling to you from the centre of history to Jesus, that real Passover lamb who lived and died for you? But also, just as I close, can I draw your attention just very briefly to verse 18, which, this needs a lot longer, but it's just nice for us to notice at the end. I think it applies the Lord's Supper to us at a political level as well. Because Jesus says there that this supper also points us not just back in history, but forward in history too. It points us forward to this great banquet of heaven, where the Bible describes there will no longer be the injustice, the inequality, the tears, the suffering, the death that we're constantly fighting in politics. The Lord's Supper actually, I think, gives us political hope too, that all the goods that we're fighting for in politics aren't actually in vain, because justice and goodness are real. And one day, we will actually get to experience them perfectly. So the Lord's Supper calls to us from the centre of history, with lasting personal hope and with lasting political hope. Let's pray together. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the death of Jesus, the real Passover lamb in our place. And we thank you for the sign 
of the bread and wine that you've given to help us to put our trust in him. And may it be for each one of us in the future, that horn blowing from the centre of history to lead us to faith and to strengthen us in our faith, in our personal lives and in our political lives. In Jesus' name, amen.